I'm so glad to see you. My, it's filling up here in person and online. Mayor Burgess and Peggy, I miss you. It's awesome to see you. It, it just feels crazy not to have seen some of you in almost a year. Uh, that's no pressure for you to hurry back. We're not going to pressure you to hurry back. Come back when it's safe for you to come back. But I can say I miss you because I do. And I also want to say this. So when I started this series on Deuteronomy, um, I asked David Hunziker to partner with me. The elders and I and maybe a few others are working on a project, a training project that we want to unveil later in the year. And so in order to give me a little bit more time to work on that project, David and I are going to share the pulpit together. And that'll be a blessing to you because David's really an awesome leader. He's an awesome minister and he's an awesome preacher as well. Okay, guys in the sound booth, my microphone got all whacked out between services and I can't tell if it's right or not. So if you, is it okay? Good deal. Every year, thousands of people fly to the remote Pacific Easter Island to see the Moai. They are idols representing deified ancestors. When Europeans first saw them, they chuckled because they thought it odd that people would still have idols. That's because Europeans were unable to see their own idols. Actually, idolatry and idolatrous language is ubiquitous. It's all around us. We may not think of that, but one of the, great, the largest idol statues in the world is in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Parthenon, which is a reconstruction of a pagan temple with a pagan idol in the middle of it. And every day, when you use one of the names of the days of the week, you use idol talk. All seven days are named after idols. Today is named after the sun god, tomorrow the moon god. Uh, Wednesday's named after Odin, Thursday's named after Thor, Saturn after the Roman god Saturn, Saturn Day. And in two weeks, some of you will distribute uh, cards. And on the cards, you're actually going to depict a pagan god, in fact, an evil god, a god who incited people to do things that would be destructive to families. And I always thought it was odd that here, right in the buckle of the Bible Belt, Middle Tennessee, someone thought it a good idea to name streets after idols. So we have Mercury Boulevard, Diana Street, Atlas Street, Mars Street, Minerva Drive, Olympia, Venus Place, etc. We even have churches named after idols, Minerva Drive, something church. But those aren't the idolatrous uh, terms that I'm most concerned with. In fact, uh, in some sense, we can say that today those are all defunct idols. They're empty idols. It's the more insidious ones that I'm concerned about. It's the idols around which the people of God today want to order our lives. So I hope that you picked up or printed off the notes for today's lesson. Because in the text today, as Moses wraps up the very first sermon, he wants to talk about the problem of idolatry. And I want you to know the problem of idolatry never went away. It is still with us. And so we need to define our terms. And let's put it this way. Idolatry is aligning your life around that which you consider to be valuable or an aspiration you might have other than God. And you can see that idolatry is still alive in today. So if you're 
aligning your life around the desire to be happy. That's idolatry because you're putting your happiness before your God. If you align your life around the desire to be successful or the desire to have safety or the desire in order to be authentic, as we often say, we don't even know what it means, but we use the term, then what you're doing is you're practicing idolatry. So idolatry is anything that you might line your life around other than the one true God. That means that an idol is anything that represents the value around which you are arranging your life. This is an important distinction. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment. Money is not an idol. Money actually can be a very good thing. Greed is the idol. Money's just a representative for those who worship greed. At the same time, looking good, because y'all look so good today, looking good is not a problem. But when you align your life with the desire to look good, now suddenly it becomes an idol. Having nice things, these aren't idols unless you align your life around it. Then suddenly a very ordinary thing, a good thing, can suddenly become an idol. And what we need to realize is that idolatry is behind Every sin we have, all sin springs from idolatry. Uh, all sin springs from the desire to worship something other than the one true God. It is ultimately the greatest act of betrayal to God because it is ultimately the assertion of yourself over God. It is an act of pride. Idolatry is the desire to make myself God. If you're filling in the blanks, this is the first blank. And so to quote from Kyle Eidelman, who by the way has a really ironic name to have written a book against idolatry, Kyle Eidelman in his book, God's at War, makes this statement. This, let, me, let me just make this observation. So these are the top 20 answers that many of you gave last week or two weeks ago when I asked you, what are the areas of obedience that you would like to strengthen in the year 2021? Here are your answers put in order. By the way, the first one, many of you said you want uh, to strengthen your, your prayer and quiet time every day, but, which by the way, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. And the number two is very much like it. You said, I want to strengthen my time reading Scripture every day. Those are the top two. Here's what I want to say. One reason why you might be struggling with that, I'm not suggesting this is true for all of you, but for some of us, is because we have an idol that takes us away from it. The idolatry of we want to be in charge the idolatry of success or of busyness, the idolatry of I'm going to do things my way. I've got too many things competing with it. And so what I want you to see today is that if you scratch deep enough behind so many of our disorders, so many of our illnesses, so many of our acts of rebellion, the dysfunction we see around us, if you scratch deep enough behind most of it is idolatry. And so to quote again from Eidelman, or to quote for the first time from because it didn't last time, idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all others come from. So if you start scratching out whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find underneath it is a false God. Until that God is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, you will not have victory. It is an issue of who owns your heart. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. Who gets to control your hearts? And so Moses concludes the first speech with a challenge. Nothing beats having a Bible in your lap, whether it's on your phone or iPad or the paper version. So open up a Bible. 
Deuteronomy 4, we're going to finish Moses' first speech. We'll move quickly. That's why we have the printed notes so that you can get the commentary on the printed notes and we can keep the sermon in a um, shorter time frame. Now Israel, this is Moses, he's wrapping up the first sermon. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. By the way, verse 2, it is a perennial. It never goes away. Never add to the Word of God, even if you want something in there, and never take away from the Word of God, even if you don't like what it says. If you read the Word of God and it doesn't align with your priorities, you're the one that's wrong, not the Word of God. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. This is where Israelites worshiped a pagan god and sinned sexually and God had to punish them for it. The Lord your God destroyed them from among everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. So you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Moses just starts this conclusion to the first service by, first sermon by saying again, remember I've given you God's commands. And I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, but I want you to know as we get into it, Commands from God are an act of grace. God loves you enough to give you commands that will help you live. Remember, God's commands are not whimsical. They're not capricious. They're designed for your good. Moses continues, verse 6. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. By the way, this is what the church has to do in the 21st century. We have to strengthen our resolve to obey the Word of God so that the whole world can look at us and see what life was supposed to look like. If we act like pagans, the world gets no witness to what it means to follow Jesus. He'll show, he says, it'll show your wisdom and understanding of the nations who will hear about all these decrees. And they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse 7, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today? Let's keep going. Verse 9, only be careful. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And by the way, he wants to make sure that we know you never graduate from teaching the Word of God. You never graduate. The next generation needs it as much as you did. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, when he said to me, assemble the people before me and hear my words so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens and black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. This is important. He wants us to know. You, you don't make an image of God, he says. That's what he's going to argue in just a moment. So he says, when you heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai, you didn't see any God, you just heard his voice because you don't make a graven image as the old King James worded it. There was only a voice, verse 13. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you're to follow in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. 
All right, I'm going to move into verse 15 because Moses is really laying, we're just about halfway done with our reading. Moses is laying out the choices. You can pick the one true God or you can align your life around something else, but you can't pick both. This is critical to Scripture. No one can serve two masters. You either get God or you get a pagan God, but you can't have both. And so he moves on to idolatry in verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed to bowing down before them and worshiping things that the Lord your God is a portion to all the nations under heaven. So just a word about idolatry. And by the way, I've given you a two-sheet. It's available online. Those of you who are in the online campus, if you walked in, if you're present, they should be at the Welcome Centers. Just a summary of Canaanite religion. And I do want to say something. I wrestled with whether or not to put images in these documents. I actually think it's, you could probably make the case I shouldn't have put those images in because you're not supposed to make graven images. But I thought you needed to see what idolatry looked like so you could spot it. And so I made the choice to put these in. If it's offensive to you, I sincerely apologize. I just think you need to know. So as the Israelites were entering the land of Canaan, it was a land filled with idolatry, no different from North America, just in how it envisioned itself. So every city had what were called stele. These are monumental stones. These are actual stele from the old tell of Bethsaida. And as you walked into the tell, you were expected. As you walked into the city, you were expected to throw a piece of orange or maybe blow a kiss or something. Every time you walked past the gate, you had to worship one of these idols. All over Israel, there are the remains of false temples. All over Israel, even today, false temples and pagan shrines and heretical temples. It's surprising to me that even Hezekiah, even Hezekiah, one of the most righteous kings in the Old Testament, for his cylinder seal, for the seal, it should be, I shouldn't say cylinder, it wasn't a cylinder, but his imprint seal, for, like on his ring, he had an image that appears to be Shemesh, the sun god. You wouldn't think that the guy who was most righteous would have picked this. And we're familiar with the fact that even on Mount Carmel, there was a great contest. Elijah versus 400 prophets of Baal. And this is one of the images, again, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I want you to see this is a statue of Baal from about the time of Moses. It was found at Ugarit, which is a Canaanite city. So Baal, what you need to know about idols is this. Remember, idolatry is aligning your life around an aspiration or an ambition a value. An idol is just a representative of that. So if you lived a hard life on the edge in the ancient Near East, the things you would value the most are power. You need power. Having lots of babies, so sex and, pro and, and fertility, and then good crops. That's what Baal uh, embodied. He embodied sex and power and good crops. And that's why he was worshipped by the Canaanites, and the Israelites fought against Baal worship for years. This is a little household statue of a cow. And by the way, you used to have a bull. You need to know that having a statue of a bull is not a problem. Having a, 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 a picture of George Washington in your pocket is not a problem. In fact, it's even better if it's a picture of uh, Benjamin Franklin. That's not a problem. The problem occurs when you align your life around it. Having a statue of a of a bull is not a problem, but it is a problem if you align your life around the value behind it. And so the bull up until, this is not, I'm not making this up, up until the 18th century of our era, 
The bull was the most powerful machine in the world, the ox was. Until the steam engine, it was the most powerful machine in the world. And so it made sense to Canaanites because they worshiped power. They wanted power. They wanted sex. They wanted a lot of babies. They wanted crops to grow. It made sense to them to have as a representative of those values a bull. They also wanted the same for women. And so they had what were called the Asherah. These are the, uh, the, uh, the Asherot, plural. And these were the female goddesses, the main goddess of ancient Canaan. They too were very sexualized. And I just want to say this. In order to worship either Baal or Asherah, commonly you went in to a prostitute. That was your act of worship. And I want you to know this for a couple of reasons. But one of them is this is one reason why God said of the Amorites, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Because sexual sin brings down a civilization. Wake up, America. It will bring down a civilization. Even if there were no God, it would bring down a civilization. Because sexual sin undermines the thing that holds civilization together, and that is the family. It undermines the family. So God says against the Amorites, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to vomit them out of the land because of the sinfulness of theirs. And so they would go in and they would sometimes worship with a heterosexual prostitute and sometimes with a homosexual prostitute. And God says, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm done with it. I just want to make sure you wake up to that because in North America, we just think it's no big deal in North America. You need to realize God vomited people out of the land for less than this. In years gone by. And then there's this one. It appears uh, that Moloch was the god of the Amorites. We're not, uh, not the Amorites, the Ammonites. We're not 100% sure of that. What we do know is that there was a god named Moloch. And in order to worship him, you would go down and kill your children. Slice them open and burn them. They would do this in a valley called the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. That in Hebrew is Ge-Ben-Hinnom, or sometimes it was called Gehenom. You might recognize that because in Greek it comes across as Gehenna. It's the name of hell. It was actually a valley just south of Jerusalem. And interestingly, Jerusalem now completely surrounds the valley. The valley's still there. It's the Green Valley here. And nobody to this day wants to live in that valley. It's a creepy place. And it is a place where this pagan god was worshipped. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, what was going on? And the answer was, the belief was if I would kill my baby, I would have a rich life. I just want to ask you, does that ring any bells in North America today? If I kill my baby, I can have a rich life? It ought to. And God says about this, listen, I'm watching. Let's keep reading. By the way, I know I'm, somebody told me after first service, you're speaking like a 60-year-old who feels like he has authority. I just want you to know I'm really nervous, but I'm just so convicted of this. This is the lesson America needs to hear. Because idolatry is behind our problems. It's behind every one of our problems is idolatry. Verse 20. But as for you, the Lord your God, as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you now are. The Lord was angry with me. By the way, Moses whines a bit. That's actually kind of, it's kind of pathetic really when you get to it. But Moses blames the Israelites for the fact that I don't get to go. Y'all are going to land of promise, but I can't go because of you. Which is, by, by the way, it's not true. It wasn't because of them. It's because Moses was, well, he was a, don't you hate it when preachers blame the church for their failures? Anyway, that's what he's doing. He says, 
uh, the Lord was angry with me because of you. He solemnly swore that I would not cross into Jordan and into the land the Lord your God has given to you as an inheritance. I will die in this land. Sounds like an old mother complaining to her kids that they don't ever call. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you're about to cross over and take possession of the good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves any idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then in one of the most fascinating texts, I think, in all of Deuteronomy, watch what he does in verse 25. After you've had children and grandchildren, have lived in the land a long time, if then you become corrupt and make any idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord to God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. This day you will quickly perish from the land that you're crossing into the Jordan to possess you will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. So watch what God does. He says, do not worship an idol. But in a couple of years after you worship an idol, let me tell you what's going to happen. And I mean, he knows us so well. He starts out by saying, I'm a consuming fire and I'm a jealous God. Don't ever have, a, don't ever have sex with somebody you're not married to. He means that allegorically, but it's true physically as well. And then he goes off by saying, but when you do. The first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to vomit you out of the land. In fact, listen to how he puts it in verse 27. He says, the Lord will scatter you among the people. Only a few of you will survive in the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And there, he's almost like saying, there I'm going to grab you by the back of the head and I'm going to rub your nose in the idols that you chose to worship instead of me. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. And then watch this. He says, now after you fall away because you're going to, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. What he's saying is if you're convicted by this lesson, and not everybody needs to be, but some of you do. If you'll come back to me, he says, I'll take you. If you come back, if you seek me, I'll have you. If you seek me with all your heart and your soul, when you're in distress and all these things have happened to you, in latter days you'll return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a jealous God, consuming fire, right? But he's also a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he's confirmed with you with an oath. Okay, now we have to finish. Verse 32. Ask now about the former days. Now, all he's going to say is, guys, don't you realize how special this is, what God has done for you? Don't forget the special relationship God has established with you. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire like you have and lived? Has any other God ever tried to take for himself one church out of other people? By testings and signs and wonders and war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like the things the Lord your God did for you when he brought you out of sin before your very eyes. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire. You heard his words coming out of the fire because he loved your ancestors. He chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of sin by his presence and his great strength. Oh, Egypt but also for us out of the world, out of our sin, to drive out before us nations greater and stronger than we are, to bring us into the land that he's given us as an inheritance. 
as it is to this day. So acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So what do you do? You keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today. So it may go well. Remember, they're not whimsical and capricious. The commands of God are intended to give you the right kind of life. So it may go well with you and your children after that. You may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. So that's the end of his speech. And at the end of his speech, we get just a little excerpt, just a little story here. Just the last couple of verses and we're done with the reading. So in antiquity, in the ancient Near East, they did not have a standing police force. You couldn't afford it. People could barely support their own families, much less a heavy tax. We should consider ourselves, by the way, very blessed to live in a land with judges. I think we have five judges at North Boulevard. We thank God for our judges. We should consider ourselves blessed that we live in a land ruled by law with judges. The chief of police of the city of Murfreesboro is a member at North Boulevard and an awesome man of God. I don't want to tell you everything I know, but I've, he and I have just worked together some. What a man of God. I got to baptize him. I did his wedding. We should be grateful for our police force. We should be grateful that we have a law, uh, 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 that we're ruled by the rule of law in, in North America. But in antiquity where they didn't have that, your family was your police force. Now there's a problem there, which is you're not trained to be police. So sometimes it got out of hand. So God gave provision to prevent it from getting out of hand. That's what the last three verses are. Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan to which anyone who had killed a person could flee if they had unintentionally killed a neighbor without malice aforethought. They could flee into one of these cities and save their life. So we're on the east side. We haven't crossed into the mainland yet. On the east side, the cities were these. Bezer in the wilderness plateau for the Reubenites. Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites. And Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. So what he's just saying is this. Look. If someone kills your child deliberately, your family has to execute justice. That's how it works in a land where you have no judges and no police force. That's how it has to work. But what if it was unintentional? God says if it's unintentional, the, the perpetrator can flee to one of these cities and you can't touch him. That's how God shows mercy in a world that didn't really have a police force. So that's all, we, that's all we're talking about. Now, okay, I got to stop because I got to apply this lesson to you. We're going to dig deeper for just a moment. What is idolatry again? Idolatry is not money. Don't say it is. It's not. Money, in fact, the matter is in a couple of chapters we're going to see in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, if you live a righteous life, I'm going to give you a ton of money. It's not a bad thing. It's only bad if you order your life around it. If you don't use it the way God intends you to, then it's an idol. Sex is not an idol. Sex is a gift that God gives to humanity. He gives it for the procreation, but also for pleasure. It's only an idol when you misuse it. In the Bible, when you have sex outside of one man, one woman in a committed married relationship, outside of that, it's an idol. Inside of that, it's a gift from God. Being safe and secure with your family, that's not an idol unless you order your life around it. So let me just show you this little experiment that many of us went through when we were in high school, and those of you who still are might go through. You remember we used to take a magnet, you put a magnet underneath a piece of paper, and then you drop uh, iron filings on top of it. So what happens, you remember? Well, the magnet projects a magnetic field, which is just an amazing, fascinating thing that it actually exists. And no matter how many times you drop the filings, they will always arrange themselves according to the field. 
So I just want you to think about this in terms of religion. So religion is when God is giving you the field. And you arrange everything in such a way as to serve your God. I want you to note, having the uh, iron filings is not a bad thing. Get more. You should have, I hope you have even more money. I hope you look even better than you look. And you look awesome. The problem is not having the money. The problem is not having good looks or whatever it is. The problem is when you misuse it, when you order it in the wrong way. God is the magnet, and we're supposed to order everything he gives us, like those iron filings, around our service to God. Anything else is called idolatry in the Bible, and it will kill you. In fact, since God created us, and he created us in his image... Any form of idolatry is a fake image. So anytime you worship a fake God, you become a fake person. And that's big because North Americans fancy ourselves on being, what's our word? I'm so tired of the word authentic. I'm not tired of it at my friend's church, the experienced church, but in pretty much any other context, I'm so tired of that word. Authentic so oftentimes means I'm going to go do whatever the heck I please. And that's the authentic me. I just want you to know that's what's killing us all. You do it your way, it's killing us all. Doing it God's way is vastly superior than doing it your way. So what are the idols? Remember, having things is not the idol, but ordering them wrongly is. So think of how North Americans also practice our idolatry, how we have things around which we arrange our lives, how important these values and desires and this order might become for many of us in North America. By the way, someone advised me, Do you sure you, sure you want to put a MAGA and also a Camilla picture up at one time? And my answer was, make them all mad, let God sort them out. Actually, I do want to pause on this one for a moment. So I was talking with my brother and dear friend Corey over, over at the Experience Church, we were talking a couple months ago. He was asking me, what are you saying about politics? You know, so do you say something or do you not say something? If you don't say something, it's really loud. If you don't say something, it's really loud. If you say something, it's going to make somebody mad and it's going to be the wrong thing. And as we were talking, Corey said something. I'm, Corey, I'm paraphrasing what I think you said. And if I'm wrong, I invite you to this pulpit to set me right. We'd love to have you. I'm going to paraphrase what I think Corey said to me. He said, I don't talk about it much. And he said, I want to tell you what really angers me, though. He said, I see my members posting all kinds of stuff on Facebook about politics. They go out and they march. They scream all kinds of things about politics, about this guy or about that uh, woman or that man or whatever. And he said, they won't get off their lazy rear ends and walk next door and make a disciple out of the next door neighbor. He said, so I'm not interested in your political position because I know you haven't put the kingdom of God first. You're trusting in Donald Trump or, or, or Kamala Harris or whoever it is you're trusting in. Joe Biden, I don't want to leave the president out. I'm just suggesting, really, at the end of the day, these things matter. I think Christians ought to be involved in politics. We ought to have political positions. That's not my point. My point is this. If we're not aligning everything around God, we are idolaters. We have a mission, make disciples of all nations. And that is a lot more important than who is president of the United States of America. Because God's going to bring them all down. So I'm just suggesting at the end of the day, we've got our own idols, don't we? Our happy hour, our incessant need for newer and bigger toys. That's a men's thing. We don't just want to picture Big Ben. We have to take a selfie now of ourselves standing in front of Big Ben so everybody can 
like us. We like success. We like glamour. Does this one remind you of anything? Like that valley I showed you the picture of, my life will be better if I just deal with this. And let me just give you one quick illustration. It's the illustration of greed because Paul actually says in Colossians 3 and verse 5 that greed is idolatry. Now, I'm going to say something about greed, and I'll just do it quickly. Actually, on the notes, I gave you just some signs of greed. They're here on the notes. I'm not going to read them. But I want to say this about greed. Greed is not the same thing as having money. It's not the same thing as having wealth. In fact, here's the deal. If you work hard and you practice integrity and you live in a place like Rutherford County, Tennessee, you save, you spend less than you make, odds are you're going to have pretty good money around here. That's a good thing. It's a gift from God. Like, I'm glad we have wealthy people. That's a gift from God. The problem is not having the money. The problem is ordering your life around it. The problem occurs when you're ungenerous with it. The problem occurs when you're never contented with it. And I know that's some of you. The problem occurs when you don't live a modest life. These are all biblical mandates. When you have money, you live modestly. When you have money, you act generously. When you have money, you make sure that you're content with what God has given you. And I want to make sure you know, greed is not a rich man's disease. Greed is a human disease. I'm reminded of the fact that in Leviticus 19 and verse 15, Moses says in that text, don't show favoritism towards the rich and don't show favoritism towards the poor. That when a poor man or a, a, a man who ought to be out working, when he calls in sick, that's greed. When he makes a fake disability claim, when he decides to stay home and just take money from the government, I just want to make sure you know that's greed as bad as the wealthiest, greediest man on planet earth. It's all greed because it's a willingness to take somebody else's stuff. And the reason I'm saying this is because greed is a real problem in North America. It's a real form of idolatry. Let me tell you a positive story. So we have three families that had talked to me for years, years. And said, so these are families that have worked hard. They've been ethical and honest. They've saved. And now in their older years, they're not old, but in their older years, they've got, they've got a lot of resources. They've lived modest lives. They've got a lot of resources. These three families have talked to me for years, and they've said, David, I'm not making this up. You guys know who I'm talking to. Whenever you find the thing that we can use our money on that will leave a lasting legacy for the sake of the kingdom of God, let us know. I just want you to know. If any of you, the rest of you wants to say that to me, I'm open. I mean, that's every minister's dream. People come coming in and saying, we have a legacy sum of money and we want to leave it for the kingdom of God. And here's the crazy thing. For years, I would say, I haven't found it yet. I, I don't have it yet. And then two things happened. A couple of years ago, a group of ministers and pastors so from different denominations got together and said, we don't have a network of people who will take a life and death stand on the teachings of Scripture for the purpose of making disciples of every single person before Jesus Christ comes back. And we decided we're going to start a network for the purpose of doing those two things. We're not going to compromise Scripture in a pagan culture, and we're also not going to go all traditional and forget to make disciples of all nations. So when we got ready to start it, I called my three friends up and I said, I found it. I need finances to do this. You've heard me talk about Renew. So Renew is now a little bit more than three years old. Now that we have quite a few sources of funding, but I want you to know when we started Renew, it was three North Boulevard families, couples, that came in and said, we want to do something with our money that'll leave a lasting legacy for the kingdom of God. I think this will. You know who the biggest 
church, uh, the, the biggest group that's involved in Renew right now is North Boulevard. I, I just saw, Holly, you wrote an article for Renew. We've, they've published books. I mean, we're really shaping the world. We have, we have people from different denominations who are coming to the Scriptures because of us all over the globe. I'm not making that up. And I want to say one other thing, and I have to go. I know the sermon's about out. Something else changed too. Back when we said we wanted to plant 60,000 churches and we had no idea what we were talking about, we had little, at that point, I could never have guessed that God would say, I think I'm going to send Jerry Trousdale to North Boulevard. Jerry came and he started telling me, you can plant 60,000 churches, not near as hard as you think it is. And I was like, well, right, it's just, they're just words. I don't think we'll ever do it. And he connected us to this global south disciple-making movement. You guys know in the last two years how many churches North Boulevard has planted? I know you won't believe me. That's okay. I don't even believe me half the time. But I'm not making this up. I'm understating the number. Do you know how many churches North Boulevard has planted in the last two years? Not 20 years, not two decades, not two centuries, not two millennia. We've planted more than 150 churches in two years, because somebody said, I'm going to take the resources God has given me. I'm going to leave it as a legacy. So are we glad that God has given us abundant resources? Yes. But when it lines up around the worship of God, leave a legacy. Okay, I have to keep going. I got to end it actually. So let me say this, because you have a few more blanks and you're wondering, is he going to get to those or not? I'm going to say this. Idolatry is a form of spiritual adultery. But it's worse than that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, Paul actually says, when you worship an idol, you know what you're doing? You're serving a demon. When you're living a greedy life, you are worshiping demons. And I want to make sure everybody here understands, they hate you, they have a terrible plan for you, and they're going to kill you. That's what demons want. So why worship a demon when you have the one true God on your side? Here's what I would do. I'd get my priorities in order. I'll put it this way. So this is quoting from Augustine. By the way, we don't have to go to pagan authors. The Christian faith has a rich heritage, a worldview heritage better than anything paganism has ever offered. And Augustine is one of those rich thinkers. Augustine says, look, start here. Love God and love him for his sake, not for your sake. Don't love him because of what you get out of it. Love him because of who he is. And when you love others, this is real important for marriage. Don't love them because of who they are. Love them because of who God is. Love your wife because of who God is, not because of who she is. Love your husband because of who God is, not who she is. And then Augustine says, and never love a thing. Just use stuff. Stuff is to be used, never loved. Something that simple can make a profound difference in our life. Let me put it this way. If you'll worship God regularly, walk around with a song on your lips. What about that song we just sang? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Walk around singing that song and suddenly God becomes beautiful. And here's the deal. You love that which you find to be beautiful. Speaking of praise, come on up. Guys, I'm trying to give you a challenge. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Idolatry occurs when you arrange your life around anything other than God. You can have all those other blessings, but use them for God's sake. Line them up around God. Worship the one true God. Maybe what I'm trying to say is what occurs at the end of the very next book in the Bible, the book of Joshua. There Joshua 
who took over the leadership role after Moses died, is now giving his final speech, Joshua chapter 24. And in his final speech, he says this, you have a choice to make. Let's stand up. Chapter 24, book of Joshua, verses 14 and 15. Joshua says, you have a choice to make. Y'all remember that text? You can choose the gods of the Egyptians whose land you just left. You can choose the pagan gods of the Amorites into whose land you're about to lead. But you can't choose them and the one true God. And so he says what? Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If we can help you with that, go back to the back. Somebody be back there to pray with you. Let's sing.